Of the hundreds of thousands, if not millions, or so games ever created, only a handful can be considered revolutionary. Among these games are those that may literally have a gaming genre named after them, such as is the case with Metroid and Castlevania, which collectively have brought us the Metroidvania genre. Many of these games, however, are those that have not created the genre, but are those whose release have defined it. A modern example of this is PUBG, or PlayerUnknown's Battlegrounds. It was not the first Battle Royale game, but it was the one that popularized the genre and sets the golden standard even to this day by which all other Battle Royale games are held to. Today we're going to be talking about a game in this category. Ladies and gentlemen, for our fourth episode, we're going to be exploring the granddaddy of the 4X genre and perhaps many other strategy gaming genres, Sid Meier's Civilization. Let's take a fond look back at this PC strategy game from 1991 try to keep our cool, and not take the Gandhi nuclear option as we take today's trip down memory card lane. morning, good afternoon, or good evening. I hope that these words find you well. Rob, how about you send some positive vibes out in the world today? Hope everyone's having a wonderful day and continues on with wonderful days to come. <laughs> That's it. That's it. Yep, yep. With all the craziness going on, we just want to project some positivity. Rob, how you doing? I'm doing well, Dave. I'm a little tired today, but, you know, just got to keep pushing on through it. How about yourself? I'm doing good. The fact that we're recording means no hurricane, so that's a bonus. So, today we're going to be looking at Civilization. Have you played any of the Civilizations, Rob? I, myself, have played 5 and 6. I have about, you know, 20 hours into 5 and probably about 50 into 6. Yeah, that's that's pretty accurate. I'm going to assume you looked that up because I sure as shit did. So, our Steam hours played on the recent Civs. In 5, I've done 56 hours and you've done 17. And in 6, I've done 2 hours and you've done 52. Clearly, I have not been playing Civ since the last one came out. And clearly, I have at least for a day or two. Well, at that point, 52 hours, at least two days. So, I, you know, I'd say that those are rookie numbers as far as Civ is concerned. Wouldn't you agree? Oh, absolutely. I mean, I'm sure there are games that have gone on longer than all of that combined. <laughs> That's very true. That's absolutely true and something we're going to talk about today. But Civ has a reputation for having games that take forever. You know, they said that, I, I think I read a statistic while I was doing my research, in like the first eight months of Civ 4, maybe 5, collectively there was a billion hours of game time put into that game. Can you imagine a billion hours of game time? I couldn't imagine a billion hours of time. I mean, there's a lot of people that play that game, but a billion hours is a whole lot. So aside from 5 and 6, have you played any of the other Civs? No, I got started with Civ 5 myself. So I have played all the Civs in one way, shape, or form, with the exception of some of the outlier remakes. Uh, there's some fan remakes, some free, free-to-play free ones that are related to it, but I've played all the base ones. In fact, some years ago, 2K Games, the current publisher, released a, seri a whole collection of these games called the Civilization Chronicles, 
there was this big cool set that had one through I don't even know where we were at the time, probably only at four, and all this other collectible stuff with it, and I bought that set, and it's laying here somewhere in my house. Do you know about the Forex genre, Rob? I cannot say that I do, Dave. Why don't you tell me about it? <laughs> I can do that. I can do that. So, Civilization is the game that defines the Forex genre. It didn't invent it. There are arguments for games that came out earlier that have that are turn-based strategy four times video games. But it was definitely the game that became the most popular, and it is now the granddaddy by which all the other 4, 4X games are held to. Now, 4X came about in 1993. There was a preview of one of the earlier games called Master of Orion in the Computer Gaming World magazine, in which he had rated a game xxxx which was a pun on triple x rating for pornography and from that came the 4x now 4x stands for four things they actually do have definitions it's the x in four words you have explore explain expand expand exploit and exterminate and we'll cover more or so what those mean as we go into it but that's the basis of the 4x genre and over time, these have become the four elements of gameplay that are, they're the phases. You know, each of them has a phase and they overlap with each other and they vary in length. And, and yeah, you know, we have 4X. That's very interesting. I honestly wouldn't have thought that explore, expand, exploit, and exterminate would be 4Xs, but 4Es. It's uh, very interesting to know that it's all because someone wanted to make a pun on pornography. Boy, well, how that controls the world. <laughs> it wouldn't be the first time that pornography defined or majorly pushed uh, technology. Wasn't pornography typically credited for pushing VHS over beta, for instance? So on the more modern stance, 4K, 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 4K resolution, that's going to be the thing. No. <laughs> in, in modern day usage, 4X games differ from other strategy games by their complexity and scale and their use of diplomacy. So, you know, nowadays we have, for instance, Command & Conquer, which is a strategy game, but not considered a 4X game, even though you could argue that each of those points, you know, exploring with scouts and, and expanding into, you know, your territory, or exploring your territory, expanding your territory, and exploding, exploiting resources and exterminating rivals. You could argue that all four of those elements are in most strategy games, could you not? I would absolutely believe that they are, yeah. I couldn't think of one strategy game where you don't have to be considering at least one of those four things at all times. Uh, I think there's some strategy games that have broken out of that mold. Nowadays, you have games that almost focus... Company of Heroes, for instance, you focus almost exclusively on battle and not really base building, and so I think some of that, some of the expand-exploit kind of gets lost in that translation. So I don't necessarily agree with that i think there are some that are going to be uh, not fitting the mold but i think by and large those four things can be found in, in the large majority let's say 90 95 of all strategy games right well you definitely play more strategy games than i do so i'll take your word on this one yeah i do i have i have played strategy games for as long as i can remember starting here civ and command and conquer and age of empires which is tied to this game too on the topic of more modern stuff too, reviewers have also reviewers typically call for X games 
as having a range of diplomatic options and that they're they're known for their large detailed empires, complex gameplay, you have detailed control over an economy, whereas, like I had just noted, more basic strategy games just simplify that for combat-focused gameplay. So, you know, we we do have reviews or quotes, you know, on how people feel about this like normal, because you know that I generally like to talk about how video games impact people's lives. And this is more of a broader scope because civilization impacted a whole genre of games and that has trickled down to other games. And there are things that we joke about in civilization, such as it being a time sink that now relate to all gaming that we're going to talk about for an impact. But I want to start by talking about the game and its origins itself. You know, we, we briefly touched a little bit on that in Mortal Kombat and got some positive feedback from it. So, you know, as we continue on with this podcast, we're going to change and morph and and blend and find topics and approaches to things that appeal to people. And so I'm going to start trying to get a little bit of the history of the games into just not focus it as much as some of the other podcasts that focus specifically on the games do. So Civilization came out in 1991. It was a PC game, and it derives itself. There's a board game called Civilization, and it also takes elements from SimCity, from Populous, which were god game genres at the time. It was developed by Sid Meier, whose name is attached to this, and, and Bruce Shelley. Bruce Shelley would go on after this game and a few others to developed the Age of Empires series, which is one of my absolute favorite strategy series of all time. And before these guys did Civilization, they made Railroad Railroad Tycoon. Rob, do you know Railroad Tycoon? Yes, I do. I definitely remember playing that as a child and very recently acquired it on my Steam account and I'm looking forward to cracking it open once again. So one thing that both Bruce and Sid had learned when they were making Railroad Tycoon was the idea of multiple smaller systems working together at the same time and having the player to manage them. You see, when they first started Develop Civilization, it wasn't a turn-based game. It was a real-time simulation, and the player would define their zones for their population to grow, kind of how the zoning in SimCity worked. And after testing and working on other things, they kind of both felt that the real-time aspect didn't work at all. And so they took that concept from Railroad Tycoon of all these smaller systems working together, and they revamped it and reworked the systems, and it became the turn-based game that we love today. Alrighty, well. Yeah, 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 yeah. Bruce Shelley, didn't he write Frankenstein? (laughs) No, I don't know. Bruce Shelley, didn't his wife write the story about Frankenstein? That's it. That's exactly right. Mary Shelley. Thank you. So, yeah. History. Yay, history. Woohoo! Almost like it's Dave's favorite subject or something. I know. So, they made this game, and it was an absolute smash hit. I mean, it, it won awards. You know, uh, a few years later in 1996, one of the PC game magazines voted it the number one best game of all time. And, you know, they, they took off with the series. Uh, Sid would go on to work on other things, and the, the series itself would be picked up by other designers throughout the time. But the truth of the matter is, in terms of 
defining games in the genre of strategy, Civilization is perhaps one of the most well-known. What are some other well-known strategy games that you could think of from early on? Even ones that, I, I mean, I realized that I was around for the beginning of this genre, right? And so that gives me a leg up, but their influence kind of goes on. So what are some of the early strategy games that, that you know of that ha- that their influence still stretches to today? I would have to say you've already mentioned one, which would be Command & Conquer. I remember you and Dad playing that quite often. Um, obviously, you've already also mentioned Age of Empires. Another phenomenal one. Um, Myself, I grew up playing Halo Wars, which it's newer of a game, but it's definitely related to these. But other than those, I do not know of very many. Obviously, there's a large number of games and everyone will want to attack me. Hey, how do you not know about this one or that one? But there's so many of them and I'm very new to the strategy genre. But uh, I would love to learn more and get more familiar with some titles. So feel free to send some on over and we'll give them a play. <laughs> yeah. You know, I, I'm, I'm thinking off the top of my head of some other games in the Forex genre. You have the Armada series. Sid Meier went on to make the Colonization series, which he did work on. You have, we talked about Master of Orion, which is where the Forex label came from. Um, Star Dock, which is actually right in your backyard. Um, they're a Michigan company, and I think they're in Plymouth nowadays. Um, hmm. They launched Galactic Civilizations in 94, and now they're on the third Galactic Civilization, maybe four. I haven't played it since the second one. I don't. Endless Space, Endless Legend, those are two more recent ones. Sorry, I had to collect my thought and think about that for a moment. Well, there's also one title you were just mentioning the other day. I, I believe it was something like Crusader Kings. Oh, Crusader Kings. Crusader Kings isn't really a four time a four times genre game. Crusader Kings is a strategy game. I don't really even know what they consider Crusader Kings, to be honest with you. Okay, I, I just wasn't sure. No, no, it's actually a valid point. I think it's grand strategy genre. Dynasty Simulator, perhaps. It's It's more detailed. See, four times games are big, like empires and countries and the whole world or the whole galaxy in terms of galactic colonization or galactic civilizations. Games like Crusader Kings or I think more like the Total War series are definitely more smaller in scope. They are just as complex, if not more in a lot of ways, but they don't have the scope of of a 4X game. Nor do they really deal with things like the explorer phase or the well there's definitely lots of exploitation um and extermination that's the best part about crusader kings i just like going on murder sprees that's fun you know another couple that uh i i thought about lord of the rings battle for middle earth that's a good one that's i mean that's that's more of just of a strategy game more in the vein of command and conquer that just real it's rts that's the real-time strategy genre um, I think those uh, were great, so 4X great is more turn-based. 4X is actually funny you should say that because nowadays they do make hybrids of 4X games and that's what most of your modern ones are. In the past, 4 times was definitely all turn-based. Um, however, nowadays you have games like uh, Sins of a Solar Empire. That was one of the ones I was searching for. Um, Imperial Galactic, Imperium Galactica. Sword of the Stars. These are games that do both four time and real four X and real time strategy. Um, but Sins of a Solar Empire is definitely the the more most popular ones. 
That genre is still 4X, but they call it RT4X for real-time 4X hybrid. Um, it's, okay. a, it's, a, it's a little bit different. So you have elements of both where you have the micro. I think that 4X is more like micromanaging. So let's say you have elements of micromanaging for your civilization, but then you have the real-time aspect of the, the battles and, and you know, turn-based strategy and real-time combat. That's the best way I can put it off the top of my head. Right. So, right. Yeah. You know, and like I had mentioned, Sid Meier had made a lot of other games, but that's that's been his biggest one. Civilization has been his thing. He also made Silent Service. Do you remember Silent Service at all? Not at all. So Silent Service was a submarine game and dad and I used to play the heck out of it. I mean, absolute heck out of it. It was just a submarine simulator. Were, and that's exactly what it is. You were in the Pacific Ocean during World War II, and you had control of a submarine. Silent Service was the nickname for the U.S. Navy submarine force in the Pacific during World War II, and you basically just had to sh- defeat ships. That was it. I mean, I, I'm trying to I'm trying to think of something more complex to say about it, but that was really it. You just had to defeat ships. You know, Silent Service was a big seller for Microprose, who eventually went on to do Civilization as a as a publisher. It was their second best-selling Commodore game in the, the year it came out, so it was a big hit. And I definitely remember spending a ton of time playing it. Dad and I used to play a lot of those early, early simulators, and a lot of them were made by Microprose. So they made, like, they made... Silent Service, they made a game called F-15 Strike Eagle, they made a game called F-19 Stealth Fighter, and I remember early on that all those simulators were just, there wasn't stuff like it, like in terms of the graphics and the gameplay, and the concept of getting to quote-unquote simulate something was like the coolest thing ever, so we would honestly play all that stuff, but Silent Service was a big one. If you get a chance, you should ask him about it, he'll definitely remember Silent Service. So he'll get that that shit eating grin on his face that he like gets when he talks about something he likes. So all right, well I will have to write that down and remember. <laughs> I'm sure I'm sure you will. I'm sure next time you're out, hey dad, remember sound service? And he's gonna look at you like, where the flip did that come from? Probably. You know another really popular game made by Sid Meier is Pirates. Have you ever heard of Sid Meier's Pirate? No, I have not. It's literally a, a pirate simulator. You're like a simu- you simulates the life of a pirate, a privateer, private hunt, or a pirate hunter, and you're basically on a ship. You know, it, it's it's a single player open world game. One of the one of the earlier open world games because it's like nineteen, I don't know, eighty seven. I mean, look, let's be honest. The concept of open world nowadays is the scope is much much bigger, right? When we think of open Absolutely. world nowadays, when we think of open world nowadays, we think of a game in which you don't have a a linear play style, you know, like the Grand Theft Autos of the world in which you can go anywhere and do anything. And and that's basically what Sid Meier's Pirate was. It was an early, you know, early game in which you could go around, god, I think it's the Caribbean and just fly around and and be a pirate you could rob ships and and jump to another ship and fight people or batter them with your cannons or you know do stuff like that in a time in which a game like sea of thieves it's so popular and sea of thieves is essentially a modern day sid meyer's pirates it's kind of funny to think about those two games next to one another and how far we've come with pirate simulators absolutely sounds like a, a fun old time 
and definitely sounds like the influence uh, was heavy on Sea of Thieves from Sid Meier. We've been talking too much about 4X and, and everything, you know, and the people around Civilization, so let's jump right into the game. I want to take a look at the game from each phase of it. I think that, you know, we, we can talk a little bit about about the games real quick and, and our place in it. So the first X in 4X is Explore. Rob, do you remember, you know, we briefly talked about Explore. Do you know what the, the definition of Explore is, or can you surmise what the explanation of Explore is in this context? Of course, Dave. To explore is to send scouts across the map to reveal surrounding territories and uh, see, you know, where resources are, where enemy structures are, where key points of interest are. Uh, Just going out and seeing the map. Yeah, and in the modern ones, you stumble across things like ancient ruins and barbarians too, right? Oh, absolutely. You can find ancient the wonders of the world. You can find barbarian outposts. You can find a lot of different things just by exploring. I would say that every player's play style has to exclude has to include explore. Would you not? I would have to say yes because you at least need to know where you can find things to set up your civilizations, where you can find resources, where you can find other people to trade with, and depending on the type of victory you're going for, possibly spread religion or send your militaries. You need to know where things are. Yeah, that's more for the modern ones. You know, they didn't have culture or religion in the originals. Really, they had science and elimination were the only victories in the original. But whether or not we're talking about the original or we're talking about the modern ones, which you're more familiar with, I can't imagine a play style in which you can do anything without a little bit of exploration. Can you even imagine just staying in place and not bothering with that? I mean, the only way that I could see that being feasible is if you are starting out in a very, very fortunate area that's heavy in resources that allows you to just amass a giant military that can protect anything sent your way. I mean, with the more modern games, the issue is you have a lot of that that large army in a very confined space, and a nuke would take care of it very quickly. However, uh, if that was not an option for whatever reason, then having a large army to defend your civilization may be your saving grace. But I, it's very circumstantial, and I don't think that that would work very well. Yeah, that's a valid point. I suppose you could just pick your initial spot as a spot to build your city and then just bunker in place and work towards a science victory. So maybe there's a person out there that can do it without exploring, but I definitely think that it's it's probably not possible, because if you don't explore, you, you're going to miss out on resources that you're going to need to develop your civilization through the ages. You know what I mean? Absolutely. So what's the next one in the four X's, Rob? Next would be to expand. Yes, so expanding, once you've explored and you picked where you want to be, you're going to expand by claiming new territory. You do that by creating new settlements, or you can expand by extending the influence of their current territory. Influence is something that is way more of a gameplay concept in the modern civilizations, I would think, than the the originals. It's been a long time since I've played the original, to be honest with you. Uh, you know, so, but like we talked about, you've got space ration, you've got either time or domination, so you don't have all the new ones. Like, what what are some of the other things you can win by in the new ones, Rob? Culture, religion. Yeah, 
Yeah, exactly. So I would say that's more so influence than just science in the original, you know what I mean? Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So expansion pretty much speaks for itself. Who doesn't want to bunker in somewhere and then grow? I mean, is it even possible to play without expanding? Like, can you just take your square and just build there and just go? I mean, you can't in the new ones in any way, shape or form because you've got limits on what you can store in a square, right? Yes, that is correct. Yeah, so there is no there's no playing without expansion. So, Not if you want to win. Do you want to win, though? I mean, normally, yes. Yes, winning is enjoyable. <laughs> you know, I think on the topic of expansion, why don't we pause there and allow our audience to expand their minds with these words from, well, us. We'll be right back as we continue this trip down memory card lane. Rob, are you tired of life? I mean... Are you just fed up with planet Earth? What kind of question is that? Do you just feel the need to shoot for the stars? Dave, do I need to call you a doctor? Are you okay? Rob, the United Nations is currently looking for brave citizens to join up for Unity, a colonization mission to Alpha Centauri some 4.37 light years away. Oh, I see. 4.37 light years? That doesn't sound like a whole lot. How long is the flight? Mm, with our current technology? Well, yeah, if I'm going on the trip now. 165,000 years. Excuse me? I said 165,000 years. How am I going to get there in 165,000 years? I don't know. I mean, maybe they'll freeze you or something. Freeze me? Do we have that kind of technology? I mean, I see cryo-technology stuff in the movies. They, they've got to have it somewhere. I, you know, I don't, I don't know. I'm just the messenger here. Well, why would I want to go to Alpha Centauri? Well, it may not be you going to Alpha Centauri. You might just get to procreate like rabbits all cooped up on a spaceship. But your great, 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 you know what, I give up. One of your ancestors might actually be the one colonizing a new frontier. Oh, and you put it that way. You know, and then you don't have to deal with this dumpster fire known as life on Earth. I mean, it's a, it's really a mess down here. You know, that's actually a pretty good point. I know. So secure your spot on the Union mission today and enjoy a lifelong and life-fulfilling trip to Alpha Centauri, only 165,000 years away today. Join up now. All right, and we're back. So the third X in the 4X genre is exploit. Rob... We're pretty damn good at exploiting, aren't we? Uh, I'm not really sure what you mean there, Dave. Why don't you give me a definition and maybe I can agree. Well, I mean, aside from tugging at people's heartstrings week in and week out, we're good at exploiting in this game. We let players gather and use resources in areas they control and then improve the efficiency of that usage. Well, when you put it that way, Dave, I think you can say that we can exploit pretty well sometimes. Yeah, I mean, I definitely think out of all the x's this is probably my forte i am in just about every strategy game we play a resource hoarder and that's typically the way that i beat everyone because when it comes down to it and we're waging wars i have all of the economic worth to be able to keep up large-scale wars longer and stronger than anybody else well dave you just haven't had to face off against me in quite a while because I myself am very good at staging large-scale wars and taking down the competition. 
Well, that and that's going to take us to the last one, you know, which is exterminate. So exterminate speaks for itself, right? You're going to attack and eliminate rival players. Do you like the war aspect of the Civilization series? Well, for my fellow Whovians, you may as well call me a Dalek because I love to exterminate. Oh, God. Oh, you had to get that in there, didn't you? I sure did. <laughs> you know, I myself am not a warmongering leader. I would say that the majority of time I win through culture or science. And the amount of times I've actually ever won through extermination or domination as, as the victory is called in the later um, civilization games is incredibly rare, to be honest with you. I'm just not, I'm not into that so much, unless I have to be. For me, the main reason that I have won with a lot of domination is that I don't do a whole lot of playing with other people. I mostly am playing against AIs. And let me tell you, when you've played for hours on end and keep losing to a culture or a religion victory, you get a little frustrated and you decide, I'm going to wipe them off the face of the earth. So I feel that when I do play with other players, I try to avoid that because if your army is bigger, generally the other person's going to get a little upset with you. So I try to make it a little more fair. But let me tell you, if someone starts poking me, I poke back and with a lot bigger of a stick. Yeah, you know... It definitely puts me at a disadvantage sometimes because when I have countries come after me, especially in early game, either barbarians or other nations, I'm typically not prepared. And it's something I have to consciously work on to make myself better. But if it's something I don't have to deal with, I'm definitely at an advantage because, you know, I have taken all that time to grow and then I can just start building quickly and in and mass. Absolutely, and I will say that I have started trying to adapt to a more uh, exploiting playstyle, trying to work more on resource gathering and optimization of the civilization through different tile resources. It's uh, a lot to take into consideration when you're playing these types of games. There's just so many different aspects that you have to consider all at one time, and you know it's kind of the fun of it is that you have to consider so many different things when you're trying to get from point A to point B and uh, definitely takes a lot of mental training to realize the situation and address it properly and plan a strategy based on that. I agree. I, I agree. It's not my play style, but I agree. <laughs> so we've talked about the four X's and we've talked about the game. We've done a little bit of history. So let's get into the meat and potatoes, our favorite part and, and see what the people think. I, I want to start that conversation by bringing up a topic that we talked about recently. Um, I believe it was a few episodes ago when we were talking about Battlefield 1942, when we discussed the historical educational value of these games. So my question to you is, can you learn history from civilization? Looking at it at the surface level, I think there is definitely some historical learning that can be done from this game you take into consideration just the selection of your civilization uh, with this you're in the newer ones i can speak for you are selecting your civilization and with that you are selecting the leader of that civilization when you're selecting that it gives you a brief description of the leader and their civilization so you are able to actually have a real look into those historical figures 
and maybe get a brief idea into how they ruled their countries during the historical times. Uh, beyond that, I don't believe that it's entirely historical. I mean, I can't tell you the last time there was nuclear fallout across the entire globe. But who's to say? Maybe uh, thousands of years from now, people will look back and say, wow, the irony, it happened. Do they really introduce the leaders, though? I mean, do they do a good job of introducing the leaders, do you think? Well, I haven't gone and actually looked everyone up that the game introduces and seen the true depth that the game puts into it. But from the few that I myself have been familiar with, such as Cleopatra and Gandhi, uh, it does do a pretty good description of them and kind of like the times that they were alive in the country of which their country of origin. Well, here, let's look at the very back to the very first game, which, you know, we're starting with here. Right in the manual, they didn't have the leader introductions in the game. There wasn't really the room for them, so they wrote most of the stuff in the manual. And in the manual, here we got Abe Lincoln, which, you know, we should all be familiar with. And what they wrote in the manual was, From humble beginnings and largely self-taught, Lincoln rose to become one of America's greatest presidents. Directing the nation through the Civil War, his will, intellect, and political skill were critical for the survival of a fledging democracy. Most often associated with the emancipation of slaves, the reunification of the country, and the preservation of democracy are his lasting contributions. I'd say that's fair. Hmm? I would definitely say so. I have been reading excerpts. I haven't been able to read through the whole thing yet. Of Oddly enough, Sid Meier just put out a memoir. I think two weeks ago is when it came out, like the first week of September. And, you know, some things are coming from it. But one of the fun things... It might not be from the memoir. It might be. I might be mixing up the memoir with all the research I've been doing. A lot of these descriptions in the manual were written by Bruce Shelley while Sid Meier's was doing the coding on the game itself. And they weren't concerned with the historical accuracy. It was it was a back thought. In fact, one of them quoted, I wish I could remember who, but one of them quoted all of the historical facts in the game you can typically find in the children's department at the local library. <laughs> so it wasn't it wasn't exactly on the top of their their minds. You know what I mean? Well, true as that may be, it's still historical fact. It is indeed a historical fact. So I have to say I agree with you. Beyond the leaders, I'm not so sure there's much here to learn. So one of the things that commonly gets criticized is the absurdity of the battles. And, and it, it's it's not as apparent in the modern games. In the old civilization, your units didn't upgrade through the times, so you could literally have a rifleman or an even sooner, you know, sling slingshot person fighting against air fighters, which is just absolutely absurd. I believe you still can, Dave. Oh, yeah? Uh, if I'm not mistaken, you are still able to upgrade existing units but they are able to remain at the unupgraded uh, classification. You know, Rob, it's I really hard. No, no, you're probably right. So one of the most difficult things about about researching for our podcast each week is when you're trying to use the internet for research on these older games, one specifically that existed before the internet was out there, there's just not a lot of literature on them, not a lot of reviews. Not a lot of anecdotes. 
Um, not a lot of stuff like that. I mean, we all joke about civilization games taking forever, but realistically, who's going to sit down and say anything about um, about civilization other than that? You know, I, I mean, there are some things. Still, I was able to dredge up some reviews, and one of them on the Moby Games website by Trata PID writes, the thought of the fact that the whole of World War II be- can be compacted into six turns and D-Day can be put into a single transport unit moving one square and unloading one rifleman unit is stupidly eptic. He goes on to write that he also likes how each game could easily be written into a dozen volumes of stories. You know the book you've got about the history of Earth? One of those could be written about each game of civilization. And that's true, isn't it? Oh, absolutely. If you think of the progression of the game throughout, it could each one could absolutely be its own story, and it could be a phenomenal idea for a set of alternate reality historical events. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Civilization starts at, what, like 4000 BC, and it stretches to 2100 AD, if I'm not mistaken. That's that's your end game with the science and all that. So you basically have a game that's that covers the whole span of human history, but it doesn't follow human history. So you could literally rewrite the book on history and come up with some really interesting anecdotes. Oh, absolutely. One of the reviews on Moby Games by Tater Conright reads, The historical accuracy of some of the descriptions becoming obsolete as better facts are found, and the other being that the functions of some buildings change is slightly weird. Why do pyramids allow players to change governments as they like? What's the rationale behind that? He goes on to write that the game has problems with the realism beside the problems of historical inaccuracies. He notes that the government types oversimplify things too much, and that it seems to put a lot of control in the hands of the player with regards to such things as scientific development, which is generally hard to influence in real life. I think that's a really fascinating concept. You know, he he notes that scientific scientific development is generally hard to influence in real life. What do, what do you think he means by that? What I think he means by that is that you can put a scientist on researching a specific subject, but there's no guarantee that within four lengths of time in the game it would be four turns or in real life it could be say four months there's no guarantee in real life that you will have success within that period of time in the game uh, you are able to select a, a type of research and you know that within this many turns it's going to be complete and you'll have that technology and unfortunately with the uh with the number of unsureties in real life that's just unrealistic it's impossible to put a timeline on something like that when there are so many things that could change the outcome and change the length of time required to come up with a solution. Yeah, I mean, dude, it's just a game, but I, I get what he's saying. You know, it, 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 it's one of three ways to beat the game, though. What else are you going to do? Put some, put some research points into, sci- into science and call it a day. But you're right. You know, sometimes it takes scientists in, all over the world working different countries, different cultures, working on the same concept and sharing their data and sharing their data amongst one another to make things work. So I, I, I can, I can understand how maybe it'd be frustrated to distill that down to something so simple. He, he's got to be a scientist. That's uh, who else would think of something like that? I mean, I swear, you know, an engineer, an engineer. All right. So there is this other review on Moby games. It's, it's all the reviews that are on there are like five-star reviews 
But this one is titled, The Game is Grossly Overrated, which cracks me up. And he starts out by going, absurd, utterly absurd. I realized that when I was building a spaceship and a Zulu diplomat stole the technology and the Zulus started building their old spaceship. Now, in this game, when a civilization gets wiped out, another one often pops up in the form of a settler's unit, which builds a city and starts again from scratch. My Zulus were one of those newborn nations. They hadn't discovered anything much beyond chariots, and now they set about building a spaceship. I was also pretty miffed once when I attacked a barbarian diplomat with my tanks and got zapped out of existence. So, what? Yeah, so I, I kind of want to talk about that next. The victory conditions in the original civilization were very simple, okay? You had a space, we, we talked a little bit about it already. You could either win by science, which is the space race, which is becoming the first to build a spaceship and making it to Alpha Centauri. There were time-based games, and then you had elimination where you just basically wiped everyone else out of existence, okay? So the combat outcomes in the first Civ are randomly determined and incredibly simple. So each unit's chance of winning was proportional to its strength. If a veteran battleship with attack strength 27 attacks a militia that's on a plain or desert that has a defensive strength of 1, the battleship has a 27 out of 28th chance of winning. But there's always that 1% chance, you know what I mean? Oh, absolutely. And more often than not, that seems to be the case. <laughs> it kind of reminds me of Risk. Isn't Risk kind of the same way? It's all a roll of the dice to find out if you if you win or not? To that point, same with D&D. Yeah, absolutely. A lot of that is based on the luck of your roll. But it, it, it had some really funny... Situ- I mean, this is an example where it made for some really funny situations where a really basic unit could defeat a really strong unit because of, I guess, a random generator. Random I generators. can understand why you would be pretty miffed about that. Yeah, I know. Random generators aren't random. Did you know that? Uh, honestly, I did not. I have used random number generators in coding before, and I didn't know that they weren't very random. Isn't there literally no way for a computer to to actually be random generators? No, apparently not. Are you Googling it? I sure am. Well, when everything that comes out of a computer is what we put into a computer, it's kind of hard to tell it to be random random. You know what I mean? Uh, that, when you put it that way, absolutely. But I, I guess I had just figured that someone had figured out a way of coding something to randomly select a number between whatever the parameters are. I guess uh, you would have to run it so many times. At what point does the pattern repeat itself to which you'll know absolutely what the next one would be with the random number generator? Or is it not reproducing the pattern and that is what makes it quote-unquote random. Yeah, I, I guess with the old random generators, you could find, you know, learn the algorithm and find the patterns. But nowadays, we've got pseudo-random number generators that that's a little bit more difficult to do. So we're probably way more random nowadays than we ever were before. You know, I'm yes, I'm going to have to go with yes. You and I play a lot of games, and Lord knows there's plenty of games that have random built-in, you know, the RNG god. And they all suck, don't they? Oh my gosh. Our, we are on another Rocket League soapbox, but when you play Rumble, it's always the other team. It doesn't matter which, if you're winning or losing, it's always the other team getting the better power-ups, and don't don't you try to argue. Because when you're playing, you'll realize it's always the other team. I like how you're stuck on Rocket League, and I was thinking more like Borderlands or Diablo or I don't, Terraria, uh, any other game that uses RNG to... to for its loot 
loot pool, basically, and it never seems to work out the way you want it to. Wow. So, go ahead. Yeah. No, that, that just yeah. <laughs> you know, victory conditions in the original civilization were really simple because you either eliminated the guy, which, as we talked about, combat could be kind of weird. You, again, you could have the highest score at the end of a certain amount of time, or you could build a spaceship and launch it to go to Alpha Centauri and win the space race. In comparison, victory conditions in modern day civilizations are pretty complex, are they not? A lot more complex than they were then. What are some victory conditions nowadays? Well, still as you had in the past, you obviously have the space race or science, you have the time, and you have the domination or elimination, uh, but they have added the culture and diplomacy and religion, right? That's culture. No, that's not culture. No, isn't religion separate? Yes. So you have now you would have in addition to the science, the domination, and the time of the past, you now would have culture and religion. I don't think diplomacy. What is diplomacy? A team wins a diplomatic when any one of its players have enough victory points to win the game. There you go. What what is victory? Like I don't I guess I've never seen that one. Well, in Civ five, I remember diplomatic victory is achieved when you take over the United Nations. Remember that? No, I, it never happened. I've never seen that. Sorry. Huh. In that, in the Brave New World expansion, I mean, I've spent most of my time on that expansion. I think the United Nations was once a buildable wonder, and then you can build the World Congress, and then when you get to the information era, I think it is, it becomes the United Nations, and every leader has a vote in the United Nations and you can kind of weasel your way into control of it. And then there's a way to get, I don't know, some majority votes where you are in charge or it's something like that. I don't know, but I just know that diplomatic victory in Civ five is, is done through the United Nations. I, I remember that. So like you had in the past, you still have the domination, the science and the time. Um, but now there's the addition of a culture, a diplomatic and a religion victory. Which one do you like to play to? I have always tried to go with science. However, a lot of the time it ends up being domination because the religion or the culture always seem to win out in the games that I played. But again, the AIs are generally programmed to be a lot better at the game than I am. I like the thought of a cultural victory. It just tickles my funny bone to think that I could dominate the world with blue jeans or Elvis Presley music. I'm going to go with Elvis Presley music. He he was pretty cool, wasn't he? He was pretty cool. That is uh, a very good, that is something very interesting to think about. I hadn't thought of winning with blue jeans. I mean, that's it though. What what uh, what other kind of cultural stuff goes across the world? I know, I know you have cultural policies. Rock music. Exactly. There you go. Elvis Presley. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, no, that's a good point. Well, we'll rule the world with the power of rock and roll. That's it. That's it. Rock and roll. Rock of Ages. That's a that's a different game. We're we're not oh, talking very about good that game. One. You like Rock of Ages? Uh, I don't know if it's the which one it is, but there's one that I've uh, I've watched and uh, it does look like a lot of fun. That's what I was going to ask you. Next. Is there only one? No, there's three. I think no. Okay, then three is the one that I've seen, and it's it looks like a lot of fun. Yeah, they're pretty goofy games. I like I like that style. So you know. I am going to stick with that domination's not my thing. I know I've done science victory plenty of times because I always build and put, put points into science. I've definitely done cultural 
maybe religious victories. I know I know I've won a bunch of culture times. I've also won diplomacy because I've ended up at the top of the United Nations. So things have changed from the little squares and the little space race. On the topic of playing civilization, do you remember what was that called? The robot thing. Giant was it giant robot? No. Oh, uh, we remember the Civ five turn based thing that, that did the hot seat? Do you do you remember what I'm talking about? Yes, we had the where it would allow you to play with people without being on the same game at the same time. Correct. And it was called something robot. I can't remember it, but we played a bunch of games. I don't know if we ever got to see any of them through. People would lose steam after like five hundred and some turns. But we would and that's you know, that's a valid point. I feel like I've played way more than fifty-five or sixty hours of civilization, but I, we played a lot of them in that robot uh, multi, the hot seat multiplayer. Meaning that we've logged, lo, you know, we've we've logged it on and done our turn and then sent it to the next person. And so we've had these really long, sweeping, epic games, but they haven't been sitting down at one time. And so our concept of time, as it refers to it, is probably kind of skewed. Absolutely, but at the same time, I know that there have been many nights where I've been up from until 4 a.m. playing a game that I had started at 7 p.m. the night prior. Yeah, I know. I one of you know my best friend and I play Civ, and always lose track of time. Always lose track of time. It's the freaking worst. So, speaking of losing track of time, why don't we plug in a little break right there? Uh, so let's take a break. And pause for another silly, ridiculous message that we wrote on a whim. Uh, Join us in just a moment as we continue this trip down memory card lane. Hey Dave, do you ever feel the need to just annihilate your enemies? You know, I've been known to do some annihilation from time to time. How do you like to do it? Are you subtle, solely working your enemy down and killing them softly? Or do you like to go in all guns blazing? You know, I have... Absolutely no patience for stealth and subtlety, so I definitely say I'm, I'm a going all-in guns blazing kind of guy. In fact, I would say that I prefer the nuclear option. Huh. It's funny you should say that, because I've got the product for you. And what product's that? The next time you feel yourself lacking, and you just want to go all-in on that annoying other player, try Gandhi's Go Hard. It'll up the intensity some 255-fold. Gandhi's go hard? Wasn't Gandhi a peaceful leader? Common misconception, Dave. Piss Gandhi off, and he's likely to go nuclear on your ass. No, 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 no. That doesn't seem like Gandhi. He was opposed to all forms of violence. It's true, I swear. I saw it in a video game, and someone bottled his awesome ass-kicking essence. I mean, I I guess if you saw it in a video game... Oh, I did. Gandhi's Gohard has all the essential nutrients and vitamins to help you pwn your enemies. And maybe some crack. I don't know. I feel kind of weird now. Are you okay over there? Yeah, sure. I'm just ready to go, go, go. I'm done being civilized. Okay? Gandhi's Gohard. Find it in your local grocer's refrigerated beverage section today. And we're back! Woo! Yeah, whew. I'm uh, definitely feeling a, a little, little funny after that one. So, speaking of Gandhi and Gandhi going hard, do you remember the old tale about Gandhi going nuclear on everyone? I've definitely heard this story, and I actually believe that it's still something that the developers kept in the game to this day. 
I, I know that it started out with uh, the early civilization. And what it was is that uh, Gandhi, who historically is known as a very peaceful protester, uh, was in the game and was a bloodthirsty warmonger just going around and absolutely massacring everyone and trying to claim domination victories. <laughs> yes. The theory behind it is that each leader in the game was assigned a number of aggression between 1 and 255, which were the limits of programming back then. And Gandhi being Gandhi and the most peaceful man on the face of the earth was assigned a rating of 1 for his aggression. And when players would start, when players would develop nuclear weapons, each leader would lose two aggression with them. So say, you know, if, if Abe Lincoln had five, he would now, you know, he would now be at seven or, or, you know, his affinity for you would basically go down. I, I did that the opposite way. So his affinity would go down. So if he liked you and he was at a five with you, he'd be at a three. Well, Gandhi was always at a one. So when he lost affinity to him, one minus two is negative one. And negative one wasn't allowed to be computed back then. So it would become 255. It would roll back, which, of course, is the most aggressive you could be in the game. And so the joke was is that Gandhi was Gandhi would literally go nuclear on your ass because you pissed him off. So and this has been programming with Dave. <laughs> well, you know. As I had mentioned, Sid Meier came out with his memoir recently, and I have to tell you that one of the things he did talk about was he busted that myth. It's We'll call it a gaming myth. He said that they didn't program anything like that in the game, and that it every leader would become more, as he put it, I believe, ornery with you when you develop nuclear weapons, but that it was so out of character for Gandhi that it just it no you noticed it more. It seemed weird, it seemed out of place, and that just got rolled into the collective gaming zeitgeist and people took it away and started telling stories about it. So unfortunately he busted that recently. I had actually not known that. I had really thought that that was uh definitely more so Gandhi being aggressive than every other leader, but having not played the games, I guess it was all hearsay. And I swore that in the new games that he seemed more aggressive, but you know, again, I guess it's with that uh, that idea instilled in my mind. I just kind of went it with a biased opinion, and that's the problem with going into situations with a bias, people. Yeah, you know, it's I I can see that. He he said it's all perception. Gandhi is typically peaceful, and then all of a sudden when you got nuclear war. He's he's not quite so peaceful, and it just seems out of place. But it definitely wasn't from one to two hundred and fifty five. You know, so absolutely. No one no one likes nuclear warmongers that that scares the crap out of even in a video game let alone real life nuclear warmongers are looked down upon so no nuclear anything people none none that's what i'm telling you none that's my soapbox i think i'm now contractually obligated to get on my soapbox once per episode just uh yes that the uh, contracts have been written up we're just waiting on your signature that's exactly right so let's go from Gandhi to talking about time. We've already noted more than once during this episode that this game is a time sink, is it not? It is one of the biggest time sinks that I have found with games. It may not have the most playtime in it, but the playtime that I do have is not from very many different games, but 
the result of a very few long, 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 long games. You're not the only one who feels that way. I stumbled across many reviews where people noted that. So here's one written by Steve Hall on Moby Games that's titled, quite simply, the greatest, most addictive computer game ever. And he notes that in a lot of these reviews, people have the pros and the cons or the good and the bad. And he notes in the bad, it's possibly too addictive. The amount of time I've wasted on this game over the years is mind-boggling. <laughs> Here is one from Jeff Watts, where he titles it the best strategy game of all time. And he notes, be warned, this game is incredibly addictive. And then here's another one by Jacques Guy, who writes, yes, it is addictive, but as I have already written, so is crack. I just want to know, I'm looking at the rest of the review. He doesn't talk about crack at all. Where has he written about crack and what has he written about crack? That's what I want to find out. No, no, hold on. I swear that you are, or you said something about that earlier. Did I? No, maybe not. Maybe it was somewhere else that I read that. All right, never mind. I thought I'd read it somewhere. Uh-huh. You thought you could catch me, didn't you? But you I sure as shit did. I like this other review I just stumbled across. It's completely non-related, but I'm going to plug it real quick anyways. It is written by... Who's this one by? Oh, this is the same guy. This is Jacques Guy. Oh, look at that. So Jacques Guy also wrote, In the end, playing Civilization is a bit like playing chess against a retarded five-year-old. I mean, seriously, dude. <laughs> wow i know this guy gave this game a good rating and well no he called it grossly overrated so he didn't give it that good of a rating oh harry he writes earlier on yes it's addictive but so is crack they say and then he finishes up with as i've already written so is crack so i don't know apparently this guy does a lot of crack and that's how he gets through games of civilization you know is that how you get through game of civilization because i've really struggled to sit through an entire game of civilization I mean, for myself, it's Coke, but uh, then again, eh, back in the early 1900s, Coke was made with crack, so yeah. It, it was. Yes, Coke used to have cocaine in it. That's very, very true, and it needs to again. It doesn't. Boys and girls, I'm not condoning drugs. I don't do drugs. I'm about as straight as it comes, so no, no crack cocaine. None. I think it's fair to say that it's very easy to sit down and play incredibly long games of Civilization. You know, the time just flies by. You start out, and it's 11 a.m., and suddenly it's 10 p.m., and you're wondering where the hell my entire day has gone. It, that That's fair, is it not? It absolutely is. Why? I want to know why. I mean, it's not the only game that we sit down, and suddenly hours are gone. I mean, we've all sat down and played at Rocket League for hours, or I've sat down and played you know, a story-based game like Last of Us or Red Dead Redemption for hours. And again, there's lots of other games that we sit down and play for hours. But I don't think that there are very many that you could sit down and it doesn't feel like hours. What makes Civilization so different in that respect that you lose all that time without feeling like you've lost that time? I think the major thing with Civilization that causes this feeling is that even though it's taking a long time you aren't accomplishing a whole lot in that amount of time in from the game time to real time you take into consideration that yes the game does go from very early bc to very late ad but 
within that you have say for the long games hundreds of turns so those 250 turns are taking up a long time but each turn may consist of five five minutes at a time and you are considering those five minutes not the overall length of the entirety of the game so you're looking at it in five minute increments and you don't realize that after 250 five minute increments it's now hours later because in the grand scheme of things you were only focused in those five minutes and you broke focus and came back to it not taking into consideration you weren't thinking about the entire length of the game you were only thinking about it within those short spurts of time that's a that's a very that's a damn good point actually I would add to that 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 five minute loop is almost the same each time, and it's not it's not too right. So I mean, I understand that you build different technologies and that you build different units, and that suddenly you go from one city to five, six, seven, eight cities and everything. But when you're playing a story based game, and maybe Rocket League wasn't a good example on there, so let's ignore that. But let's go back to you know. Grand Theft Auto story or Red Dead Redemption. I don't know why I'm stuck on Rockstar. When you're playing those, you're actually progressing the story and you're moving forward and you're doing different things. But Civilization is a loop. And you're right, it's a loop in five minute bits, but it's the same loop in one way over and over and over and over again. Does that make sense? A hundred percent. And then you just get caught in that loop because it feels like it's a it's a fun loop. It's a fun loop. You you know when when you take a step back and you look at this game, you know from from a distance, it doesn't sound like it would be that much fun. I I don't I don't know. I I mean I'm a, I'm a history guy. I love history, and I'm obviously we talked. I'm a I'm a strategy fan, but with all the shooters and story and excitement and now every day, I don't and and as an adult how much time I have to spend adulting per se sitting down to manage the a civilization through the course of history since the beginning of time. God, that sounds exhausting. Doesn't it? When you put it that way, anything can sound exhausting. But I mean, it's not. It's, it, it's not. It, it, well, you don't you don't feel it. No, not at all. I think that it anything can be described in a way that makes it sound exhausting. I mean Take into consideration, you have to, without thinking, forcefully expel and intake air into your body to continue living. That sounds like a lot to do, but when you really think about it, do you have to think about breathing? And now all of you will start to, and it will be difficult. (laughs) Sometimes, sometimes. Good Lord, you just ruined everyone's day. I just, Civ Civ is a lot of fun, and it's real easy to get lost in it. And there's so many different ways to play it, and it's different every time. It's a fun game. We haven't played it in a while, though, have we? No, much because every time that we get the group together, it is very late. And as we've said, these games take forever. And starting at 11 would mean finishing up probably sometime around 7 a.m. and and the following day. And that's not very appealing at our age, even though I'm very young. We're too old for that shit. We're definitely too old for that shit. More so Dave than me. Oh, for God's sakes, don't remind me. I feel old. You know, I can't stay up. I stay up late with you guys sometimes. You know, we'll we'll start playing Rocket League at 11, let's say 11 my time at night, and you go to bed at decent times, but some of the other guys we play with will stay up late, and I have this rule, play till we lose, you know? 
Mm, I've fallen into that trap many times myself. And suddenly it's 12, 12, 31 in the morning and I go to bed and then I wake up in the next, the next day and I didn't do anything, but I feel like I got hit by a train or I worked out for literally 12 hours the day before just because I didn't get enough sleep. It sucks getting old. I mean, it does. I need more sleep, basically. Sleep is a miracle drug. You know, I I literally have no excuse. I should not be complaining. A lot of people that are listening are going to go, David, stop gatekeeping. We have children. You don't know what it's like to not sleep. And yes, I realize that, but God, it sucks. I also kind of assume that these days in my life, I have the luxury of getting a full night's sleep. And there was a time in my life where I could function off four, five, six hours and when you have to function for an extended period of time off four, five, six hours, you just do. You, that's It's just that simple. You don't have a choice. You just keep going. You inject yourself with caffeine and you, or not, and you just move on with your life. But I'm a baby. Sleep is great, and I will always advocate for more sleep. So I wanted to talk a little bit about the concept of losing time. And that concept fascinated me. So I I used a little bit of my Google foo and I wanted to literally find out if what the theories behind losing time was. We talked about it. I don't think last week, I think two weeks ago when we were talking about final fantasy in that when I was younger, the battles against the, the, the hard, hard bosses like Ruby and Emerald, that would take hours upon hours felt so much longer than they do nowadays. And so the concept of time changing as you get older seems to be a reoccurring subject on our podcast. Would you agree? Everything comes full circle eventually. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So there are some theories about why time changes as we get older. So one theory is called the proportional theory. And the proportional theory is this. One year in the life of a 10-year-old is one-tenth of his life, but one year in the, in the length of a 50-year-old is one-fiftieth of his life. And so proportionally, our concept of time changes based on that. Does that make sense? Yes, actually it does. I don't know how much I subscribe to it. Who wants to have a conversation about proportional theory? Apparently Dave. Yeah, I know, right? Well, you know, we strive here at the podcast, A Trip Down Memory Card Lane, to be both entertaining and educational to our listeners. And I think the whole two of them appreciate it. What do you think? Uh, I'm not paid enough to think. (laughs) (laughs) You get paid? The second theory... Well, the sec- there's a number of second theories. So you've got the proportional theory, and then you have a, a few biological theories. The first biological theory is based on metabolism. The concept is as we get older, our me- metabolism slows down. Our concept of time and everything slows down with it. I can see that, uh, but I mean, I'm no biologist. I, I don't know the metabolism very well or know how it's affected as you grow and get older. So uh, I'll leave that to the experts. You're not a biologist? Ah, far from it. I deal much better in inanimate objects. I could take that so many places, and I'm so going to avoid it right now. 
So moving on, and perhaps what I find to be the most fascinating theory is a theory about information processing. So it has been proven that as we get older, our brain processes less information. Literally, the amount of images we take in at any given time or our situation slows down as we get older. So the theory is, is when you're young and you're taking in all this information, your your mind is constantly there. And when you get older and your brain starts to slow down and not take in information, everything kind of slows down. So in the course of a second, you may get 20 pictures as a kid, but you only may get five as an adult per se. And this is really simplifying it. But because of that, our concept of time differs in that we, we just time, time, time isn't stretched as far. We're not in, what's the word I'm looking for? We're not receiving time in the same way. That does make sense. And you know, it, it's interesting to when you put it into perspective in those ways. I don't know uh, necessarily in the way that I view it would relate to either proportional theory or the uh, number of images that we're processing through any given amount of time. But I feel that what I personally think is that it's a lot to do with what we are able to remember. We obviously see time different now because we have, as you grow older, you have more of a lifetime of memories. And when you think back, you have so much more to remember. And within that amount of time, you might not remember the last year because you have memories from the last 20 years that take precedent over the last year because the long term has taken more space in your mind and you've had more time to think on it and dwell and remember it than what's happened in the short term. Yeah, I think that's a very valid point. I really do. Either way, it really fascinates me. I mean, we all know that our concept of time changes and we've talked about it over and over again, but it really fascinates me all these different theories on it. I will tell you that no matter if you're young or if you're old, one thing that you want is more time. Well, maybe young kids don't want more time because they just they want to get places and they want to get places and, and no, I think young kids want more time too. Think of all those weekends when you had sleepovers with your friends. You never wanted to end. No matter or how old summer vacation or summer vacation, no matter how old you are, you want more time. So theorists find out a way to take this information and give me more time. Maybe put my brain into overdrive. So I receive more information each moment. I need time. Or someone out there in science, like that's none, take science fiction and make it real. We either need time loops or we need to be able to freeze time. You know, freezing time would be pretty cool, but could you do things when you freeze time? Like, what happens to you when you freeze time? Do you age, but everyone else stands still? Is that how it works? Well, the problem with time stopping is that you would not be able to move. Everything would likely die because molecules are no longer able to move. And when the molecules are no longer moving, heat is not being emitted. And with the loss of heat comes the loss of life for many. That was way more nerdy of an answer than I expected from you. And I am unusually impressed with you right now. I, I could be dead wrong. No, well, no, it sounds right. Hey, I'm not the engineer in the family, so I'm going to defer to you. I'm just a lowly writer. So nobody, us writers, we're not based in reality. We're not based in reality at all. We we make up shit as we go along. The stuff I say every day, hell, half the stuff in this podcast is made up. Don't, 
no, to scratch that. It's not made up. It's researched, I promise. But I mean, you know what I mean. It's it's all made up. It's not made up. It's research. And as Dave descends further into madness, I think that this is a phenomenal place to wrap up this week's episode. So with that, Dave, any closing thoughts? I want more time to do everything to play video games, to spend time with my wife, and to to make more podcast episodes and other content for people to listen to. And I want more time for people to listen to us. I don't think that's too much to ask, is it? Well, until you can figure out a way to give people more time, I think right now it might be. But with that, I do want to say I we appreciate you all taking a listen. I definitely do wish that everyone had a little more time, and we wish that you will take more time to listen to previous and future episodes and to visit us at our Discord and our website, www.memorycardlane.com. From there, you can get links to all of our different channels, the Discords, our Patreon. Uh, Come visit us in the Discord and send us some information. Dave, anything I'm forgetting? So, guys, um, if you want to hear more, you know, www.memorycardlane.com and visit our Patreon. If you want to interact with us, come visit our Discord. You can interact with me specifically on Twitter. My Twitter handle is David underscore is underscore wrong. You can find me on there. And Rob, why don't you take us out? Thank you, Dave. And thank you to all of our listeners. With that, we just want to say, join us next week as we take a trip down memory card lane.